for another day, for new mercy, for opportunity to come together and gather with your people, to be uh, to, to sit under your word and ministry. We pray, Father, you would instruct us today, that you would teach us, that you would cause us to uh, uh, consider your words and consider your uh, directions for us, that we might implement them into our lives, give us wisdom as we do so, especially as we seek to raise our children and raise them as adults to serve in your kingdom and to perpetuate your kingdom for generations to come. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to talk today about um, primarily about college, but the, many of these principles would apply to other forms of continuing education as, adult, as young adults. And so as our, our children graduate high school and, and begin to, or as they prepare to graduate, begin to think about uh, going on and figuring out what they're going to do next, whether it's career or trade school or college, uh, there are a number of questions that come up, and we're not going to be able to cover them all uh, t- this morning, but I want to hit on some of the major ones. George Orwell observed in his classic novel, 1984, who controls the past controls the future, who controls the present controls the past. Understanding that whoever has power over the mind has power over the culture, Orwell had one of his characters declare, the party is not interested in the overt act, the thought is all we care about. We do not merely destroy our enemies, we change them. Author Herbert Schlossberg observed that education is a series of religious acts partly because the power of assumption is so great. Assumptions are even more powerful than assertions because they bypass a person's critical faculty and thereby create prejudice. Government education assumes God to be irrelevant to the educational process when, in fact, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Such false assumptions by the government schools can then be combined with arguments that prove the truth of what is false. These false assumptions are particularly beguiling because they appeal to one of our worst instincts, the desire to be fashionable or at least to avoid being associated with the unfashionable or unpopular. I've been involved with the revival of Christian education in America over the past 35 years, as many as, as many of you have. Its growth and development have really been remarkable and powerful. Many parents have recognized the necessity of a Christian education and have made enormous sacrifices to provide, when possible, either home schools or Christian day schools as a means of achieving this important work. Robert L. Dabney is worth hearing again on this. He says that education, the education of children for God is the most important business done on earth. It is the business for which the earth exists. To it, all politics, all war, all literature, all money-making ought to be subordinated, and every parent especially ought to feel every hour of every day that next to making his own calling and election sure, this is the end for which he is kept alive by God. This is his task on earth. 
And so again, I want to start with a commendation to all those who have done what they could could do to provide a Christian education for their children, often under very difficult circumstances. Having homeschooled as well as been the founding chairman of two classical Christian schools and served on the board of a classical Christian college, I know firsthand that the dedication and sacrifice of many people is required to accomplish this most important work done on earth. Commitment to inculcating a biblical worldview, though, is a long-term construction project. We take our children to church, instruct them at home, and in many cases enroll them in co-ops or schools where they will be immersed in not only Christian instruction, but also in maybe equally or if not more important Christian culture. We're concerned about what they will be taught, we're concerned about who will teach them, and we are also concerned with the environment or the culture that they will live in. I'm aware of some Christian families who have successfully negotiated less than ideal educational situations, but they are the exception to the rule. But now we've got to continue the challenge. Running 15 miles in a 26-mile, 385-yard race is impressive, but it will not win the marathon. Graduating high school is no small accomplishment. Raising Christian children and preparing them to be lifelong followers of Christ is a daily struggle. And it saddens me to see how many come to the end of this particular phase of education, that is high school, and then seem to stop thinking about what's necessary to continue what was started, to continue that race. I know that life is complicated and that every child is different and that some young people are better prepared than others. A variety of opportunities present themselves, and sometimes those are necessities, not just opportunities. And so I want to challenge parents and students to think through all these options carefully and to maintain the biblical principles that God requires. I want to see everyone finish the race. And so remember, the goal is to raise godly children to the glory of God, which means that their faithfulness to Him and their maturity in Christ is the single most important thing. So in all you're getting, get that. If you don't get that, you don't have anything. We don't have to look far to see many shipwrecks of Christian young people who headed off to college or the university for a lot of the wrong reasons. At the top of our list of considerations in deciding where to go to school are things like proximity, proximity, jobs, scholarships, football teams, prestige, friends, etc. Much further down our list of considerations, if they were considered at all, were things like, who is going to teach my children? What are they going to be taught? What kind of culture will they be immersed in? Is this place likely to produce mature and faithful Christian adults? who are prepared to engage our culture, who will establish great, solid Christian families, and who will be dedicated members 
of the body of Christ. Now, I'm not opposed to the items that were on my first list, but I am suggesting that these two lists should be reversed in order, in, their, in the order of their priorities. Every education, remember, is selling something. It might be from God or from the devil, but they are all selling something. Do you know what they're selling in the classroom and in their cultures? Is it really where you want your young adults to do their shopping? You sacrificed early for your principles. I want to urge you to not stop now. Most everyone can see what's floating on the surface. Of course, that's plain and that's obvious. Uh, It might be beautiful or ugly, and it might be true or false, but it's there for everyone to see and to make initial judgments. That's the nature of surface knowledge. Sometimes things are as they appear to be, but not always. For understanding, we'll have to look below the surface, we'll have to dig deeper, peer behind the facade, pull back the veneer, And understanding requires that we gather information that might not be available to us at first. So again, we have a tendency to run out and gather up, you know, a small amount of information and not really do the digging that we need to do. Sometimes we see the surface and presume that we have understanding and wisdom. Every two-year-old thinks he knows what he needs, needs to know, and every teenager is certain that he or she does. Parents are simply obstacles. We have all acted on surface knowledge alone. Sometimes we really have no choice. We have to make quick decisions. We do this really on a regular daily basis. Not everything is, we don't have the time to research everything, and and not everything requires that. But thankfully, surface knowledge is often sufficient since we don't have the time to dig deeper. And again, not every decision is is that monumental. On the other hand, we've also acted foolishly in the past by being too hasty in our judgments. Anybody here have any regrets about decisions you've made? If we keep on acting foolishly, of course, the Bible would describe us as deserving the title fool. In the book of Proverbs, the man of wisdom is set over against the fool. The wise man knows how to dig deep how to gather understanding, and he's not in a hurry. He's look, he's, he looks to the past, and then he looks to the future before crossing the street today. So most people and things are more complicated than we first imagine. We need to know some history and some philosophy along with motives and structures. What are the foundations like? What's holding this together? How does it work? Can we count on it? Is it what it appears to be on the surface? Where is it going? These and perhaps a thousand other questions will need answers if we are to draw sound conclusions about the person or the thing that is under consideration. And so we need to confirm or deny our first impressions, and this can only be done if we see how all the parts fit together and function together. What makes this thing tick? So if we look at a typical university, we should be asking, what is the philosophy of this university? What are its policies? Who is it hiring and why? 
And what if, what if any unifying principle is there that directs this institution? Until we have done this, until we can accurately answer these kinds of questions, our knowledge remains superficial and unreliable. Remember, in any decision, the first thing you have to know is not what do you like about it. Everybody puts out the things they want you to like. It's, what, it's where the dangers are. And there are always dangers. And if you can't identify the dangers accurately, then you're in danger. You're in danger of those dangers because that's when you're the most susceptible, is when you don't see where they are. One thing if you say, okay, I know where the dangers are, I've taken that into consideration in my decision, and I'm going to move forward now with great care and caution to protect myself from those things. Wisdom takes us to this deeper level. Having assembled considerable knowledge and applied sufficient understanding, now we need to make decisions and applications, and in order to do this well, we'll have to have a broad range of, uh, have to weigh a broad range of considerations. Much is riding on whether we have the actual truth about the thing or only what appears to be the truth. Most resumes look good, to be sure, but be sure to check the references. There are more than a few, few failed engineering projects as well as failed businesses and failed relationships that are the result of these kinds of miscalculations. We've all learned many things the hard way. It is much better to think longer and harder and deeper in order to be as sure as possible that we are making wise choices and decisions. And we think about a college education, for example, we're talking about a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of information and some of the most important things that are going to form a human being. Why is it that so many Christian kids go off to school and lose their faith and reject the faith? Can you answer that question? And do you know why that's not going to happen to your child? You've invested a lot. Are you going to take a risk on that? Are you going to take a chance on all that going out the window? Some matters are weightier than others, and therefore the cost of getting it wrong varies. Getting it right or getting it wrong both carry real consequences, personal and corporate. Wisdom calls for inference and projections. It considers the past, present, and future, remembering that few things, if any, are isolated because we live in a universe. Everything's connected. The political world is littered with innumerable examples of unintended consequences, and some of them were even well-intentioned. I know of some rotten kids that have come out of public schools, private Christian schools, and home schools. I also know some shining examples of faithful and committed Christians who have emerged from each of these as well. Therefore, the discussion of education cannot proceed on an anecdotal evidence basis, but must address the underlying principles that are involved. Cultural conditions, educational difficulties personal and corporate limitations, bad experiences, and a host of other problems make our educational decisions complex, challenging, and often frustrating. There are personal sins and corporate sins that put sand in the gears. Nevertheless, we must know where we're going and why, and the Scriptures are still the only rule to direct us how we may glorify and enjoy God. 
Are you using a biblical standard to make this decision? Specifically, self-consciously, and clearly. The principles of Deuteronomy 6 and Ephesians 6.4 are universal, and so our discussion and debate must proceed along the lines of how best to imply and implement the requirements to diligently teach our children the Word of God and to implement it in their lives. So what is the work of parents? If our goals are unclear, then, it is, then it's possible that our labor could be at least partly in vain. Jesus asked, For what shall it profit a man if he gain the whole world and lose his own soul? What kind of children does God want? That's the question. What would his report card look like? The work of Christian parents is that of raising adults to the glory of God, inculcating in them not only knowledge and skill, but a genuine, genuine fear of the Lord and a love for his word. Anything short of that does not complete the task. Higher education is an extension of the parental calling and must not be treated lightly. College is not only a place of learning. It is a place of testing. Unwise choices now can undo or derail many young people. Extra care must be given toward the end of the journey. Every phase of life has its challenges, and the later challenges are no less important than the early challenges. Staying focused is critical. Not growing weary in well-doing. In due season we will reap if we faint not. The goals remain Christian maturity, covenant faithfulness, and generational vision. The responsibilities and duties are fundamentally the same, whether they're 3, 13, 18, 20. Dr. Van Til writes, all of us must stand together as one man. In this day when boundaries between the believer and the unbeliever are so generally wiped away, we should seek to mark those boundaries anew and mark them well. We should seek to mark those boundaries not with chalk that disappears with the first rainstorm that comes, but we should try to, we should try to mark these boundaries with indelible ink on the hearts of those who believe. And so you will need to assess your student, your child, your young adult. Before choosing a college, university, trade school, or a career, you must assess your student's readiness, their skills, their gifts, their maturity, spiritual and emotional, their strengths and weaknesses, their influences and inclinations, their calling, their vocation, their academics, diligence and discipline. By the way, you can't start that assessment too early. Can't wait till, you know, three months before graduation to start evaluating those things. Those are all have all been your tasks to mature, to bring your children to a place so that they are ready. Moreover, what do you want to achieve for your son or daughter? And so, an honest and accurate uh, evaluation of these things is necessary if wise choices are to be made. So remember, every school has a culture, and every culture will shape your student for better or worse. You are still in charge, and you are still responsible, parents. This kind of assessment 
if it's to be done well, will take some time and thought and counsel. Father and mother, other family members, pastor, church community, friends, and others in your broader communities should provide input before making this monumental decision about where to spend your money, or God's money, I should say, and where to subject your son or daughter for the next several years of training. And so you have to ask the right questions. God purposes to do what? Fill the earth with godly people, and thus this must be the ultimate goal in educating our children. Education provides the tools, and these tools will be in the hands of someone who can use them for good or for ill. Good tools must be in the hands of good men and good women. Good tools in the hands of those who do not serve Christ are dangerous. Indeed, their spiritual condition and content of their character is far more essential than a high GPA. You know, I think about that. We'll, we'll often brag about a student, uh, their GPA. That's fine. I, I want everybody to make straight A's and work hard and be brilliant. And we'll emphasize that. But I'd much, much rather see someone that made a few B's or C's that absolutely is sold out to God and loves Christ and loves his church and is committed to family and community and is ready to serve. Um, the other rumor, what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And so, who's going to teach my student? What is their character like? Faith, ability, expertise. What are they going to be taught? Content, worldview, philosophy, theology. By the way, every single teacher has those. It's only a matter of what they are, not do they have them. They have them. You've got to know what they are. These are some of the questions that must get asked and answered for every school. Guesswork, hunches, feelings, and wishful thinking are dangerous substitutes for due diligence. So again, knowing the dangers and possible pitfalls. Sometimes parents carelessly buy into the false notion that we can give our children a first-class, neutral education, and then we can fill in the gaps. America is reaping in its churches and families what it has sown in compromise with schools. And while there are notable exceptions, we still must ask, are churches and families stronger or weaker in their authority and influence after generations of state-dominated education. Moreover, many private colleges that bear the name Christian are not producing the kind of graduates that are prepared to lead and build solid Christian families, churches, and other cult and cultures. Children are easily influenced and must be educated in the context of God's righteous standards. Paul uses the picture of a child when he warns that we adults are not to be like children, tossed here and there by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine. You ever see some of these crazy things that get reported about what's going on at some of the universities? Uh, where did that come from? You think all those kids got taught that at home in their churches or in their families, or did they go to the university to have to learn that? And when they got there, 
they, got, they became part of the movement and part of the crowd. And they had professors who were promoting that. They got them away from you and began to undermine what you thought you had given them. And lo and behold, the whole youth culture begins to develop and influence our nation. Children, again, are easily influenced. College is a series of waves that will inescapably shape your student. Jesus taught us that a pupil is not above his teacher, but everyone, after he's been fully trained, will be like his teacher. What does this say about the teachers of our day? Again, 19th century theologian Robert L. Dabney wrote, As a man, it is presumable he will act as he was taught while a boy. Of course, then, the grounds of obligation employed with him in school should be the ones he is to recognize in adult life. In the state school, a non-Christian standard alone could be given him. He cannot be expected now to rise to any better. He may sink to a lower, seeing the ground then given him had no foundation under it. In fact, Americans, taken as we find them, do not get their moral restraints from the Bible, If they don't get them from the Bible, they have none. If in our moral training of the young we let go the thus saith the Lord, we shall have no hold left. The training which does not base duty on Christianity is for us practically immoral. Assumptions can kill. And so it's important for all of us to remember that everyone is, again, trying to sell us something. And I know I've mentioned this before, but uh, so I'll just lightly touch it. That That's true with your little children in the grocery store. It's true with us every time we watch television or read a book, see an advertisement. Those are fairly obvious that somebody's trying to sell us something, but again, everybody has opinions. Everybody has ideas and thoughts, and those are either Christian or they're not. And if we're not thinking this way, and oftentimes young people who go off to college, if they haven't been very carefully trained and taught to think in those terms, they walk into a room, they walk into a a class with a professor who is going to begin to teach them something contrary to everything you've tried to inculcate in them. And remember, he's up there with a Ph.D. or she, and Dr. So-and-so said, and they're very sophisticated and they've got a, a, a nest full of birds with open mouths. And they know how to feed them. They've been doing it for years. And they have them every day or three, three times a week for a class. And um, they're deciding which textbooks they're going to read, which information they need to know for a test. And all those kinds of things are going on on a regular basis. Some of what's being sold is good and some is not, but it does not alter the inescapable fact that the world is full of salesmen. And so we can't just monitor our little children. We have to understand that this continues uh, later in life. Universities and colleges, all of them are selling something. Do you know what they're selling? Like other marketers, they have their logos, their T-shirts, and their coffee mugs, and their mascots, and many of them have sports teams and a whole bunch of school spirit. A song, 
some rituals, a beautiful campus, lovely dorms, and a lot of scholarships. Oh, my child got a scholarship. That's the most important thing, right? A scholarship. Got some money. For what? What are you buying? Money for what? You better know what you're buying. I'm all for free money. Not really, but because there's never free money, right? It always costs something. I think Thomas Sowell said, if you think it's expensive now, wait till it's free. Okay? Well, that scholarship has strings attached. And its first string is, we got your student here. First, we inflated the price so we could discount it. Y'all familiar with that tactic? Every, you know, all the stores do that, right? Retails for $19.95, but today you can get it for $12.95. Right? And you think you got a bargain. We keep falling for it, and universities do it. And we'll jack that price up to $30,000 a year tuition, but, you know, you're a brilliant child who, you know, got a 25 on their ACT. Uh, you're a brilliant child. We're going to give them 50% off if you'll send them here. We're going to waive that out-of-state fee, and we're going to let them live in the dorm the first year for free, whatever it takes to get you here. You understand that that's how it works. It's a marketing situation. You should set all that aside. That should not be what, how you go about making this decision. Um, do you know, um, you understand that they understand the idea of branding and how powerful that is? I mean, just walk around town. I know because my wife picked up three uh, or four or three T-shirts, SFA T-shirts for three bucks a piece at Walmart or something. They were on sale. Why, why is Walmart selling that? Because it's, we live in a community where the university is, and it, it could be A&M, it could be Texas University or University of Texas, excuse me, um, or wherever. You know, and I'm not saying this is all bad. I'm just saying you understand that's part of this. Everybody does it but it's to get you onto the team, to get you thinking as, that, yeah, that's us. And once, once it's us, then we can bypass thinking about what that means because now we're on the team. and We don't have to think about what that means. And so the package might get your attention, but do you really know what's on the inside? Do you know the hidden cost what are they selling, and what are you buying? So I want to, uh, in our last few minutes, I have ten questions that you must answer about every college. And we'll spend a little more time on the first two, and then we'll speed up a little bit here. Number one, since it's man's chief end to glorify God uh, and enjoy him forever, how will this school enable my son or daughter to advance in their enjoyment of God and bring glory to his name. This is the big picture objective of all our decisions in raising our children. No school choice should obstruct this goal and should, in fact, advance it. This question is first on the list of questions because it is the most important question that must be answered. Am I saying that, therefore, you, know, you couldn't go to a secular university? That's not what I'm saying at all. What I'm saying is you have to answer this question. 
I'm not singling out any institution or any university. That's not the point of these questions. The point is, regardless, these are questions that need to be asked across the board. This, uh, uh, some of the deliberations uh, of this question, of these questions that are coming below, will help answer this first question. But this is the overarching consideration that must, in the end, drive your decision about a choice for higher education. Number two, what is the culture of the school and community where my son or daughter will be immersed for the next several years? This will include classrooms, teachers, friends, organizations, the campus, extracurricular activities, clubs, and the broader community. God has called us to teach them how to live in this world, in this century. Schools are essentially, remember, a transmission of culture. And so we must understand the strategic importance of the current educational establishment and the repaganization of our current national culture. If we're to have truly a truly Christian culture, it is essential that we have a self-consciously Christian education at every level and in every field of study, producing godly men and women that adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. Education is the primary means by which our culture is produced. That's why in Deuteronomy it says you're to teach them diligently when they rise up, when they lie down, when you sit, when you stand, when you walk. It's to permeate their lives. It is the primary means, again, by which culture is produced. There are ultimately only two philosophies, Christian and anti-Christian, and these two philosophies produce radically different cultures. These two cultures must collide at every point. How a culture acts can't be separated from education. As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. Or as Henry Van Til said, culture is religion externalized. To the degree that the school is distinctively Christian in its philosophy, the culture will be more or less Christian or anti-Christian. Um, or as J. Gresham Machen put it, if you give the bureaucrats the children, you might just as well give them everything else. How much has the world changed in the last generation? Are you witnessing things in our culture that you thought you would never see? as the unthinkable and the unmentionable become thinkable and even commonplace. How did that happen? Number three, which church will your son or daughter be a member of? Unfortunately, most parents and students don't get around to this question until after they have made their school choice, which is an indictment of our priorities. It is assumed that we will, quote, find a church, But good churches are not so easy to find, and it matters where students go to church. Education must be in the context of the covenant community of God's people. Number four, and I'll pick up the pace here, who's going to be teaching my son or daughter? Personal character, beliefs, subversive or supportive are critical. What will my son or daughter be taught? Curriculum. Content, quality, challenge, difficulty, academics. Now, I hope that more and more Christians are realizing that there is, in fact, no neutral ground in education or anywhere else. Nothing can be taught apart from some religious presupposition. 
And so, you know, I know having just taken one class uh, out at uh, grad school at SFA, uh, very obvious that I had a professor whose underlying assumption was an evolutionary view of the world. That's in the history department. And so you think, oh, well, that's just in the science department. No, that's the overarching assumption in every department. Does that mean there aren't individual professors who might take some different view? No, but it, you know, don't be naive and think somehow because it's local. You know, you'll, you'll hear this locally about uh, uh, a particular high school, uh, public high school, that it's really a Christian public high school, right? Because after all, you know, the teachers there and, and, the, and the administration are Christians, so therefore it's really kind of a public Christian high school. But that's not true. And if it is, if, the, if those teachers are teaching a distinctively Christian view of things in that school, then they're breaking the law, for one thing. And, you know, to, I'm not saying they're not Christians. I'm not saying they're not going to heaven. I'm saying that is not a Christian school, and we shouldn't be deceived and, and buy into that, that false notion. It's just not true. Um... What kind of career or work is my son or daughter preparing for? Um, sometimes I see, you know, an emphasis upon um, certain aspects of sports or things like that. So do you want your child to be a professional athlete so they can worship every Sunday at the stadium? You know, so you want them to go to Hollywood and, and be a movie star? You know, what, what is it you want and how is this career, whatever it is, going to be used to serve in the kingdom of God? That's what matters. How is it going to contribute to family life? How is it going to contribute to being a productive, godly member of the community? Now, I know I'm probing around in some tender spots here because it applies to all of us. This is, these are hard questions that we all have to deal with but it, like so often, I think the church has just failed to address these things in a straight-up-the-middle way, and if it, it should make us squirm a bit. That's what the Word of God does, right? Every time I read it, it makes me squirm. Uh, it always finds some spot, some maybe usually a whole list of things that I have to go, ugh. Um, you know, I'm preaching this morning on, again, husbands loving their wives, and I did a lot of squirming myself this week as I was thinking through what that means and what that looks like. Number seven, what will it cost for my son or daughter to attend and graduate from this institution? Will it involve huge debt? Uh, how am I going to pay for the housing? Uh, you know, are there scholarships and discounts? Providing Christian education for our children is costly, but not nearly as costly as the alternatives. Your commitment to provide the spiritual and academic benefits of an appropriate education will affect your children for the world and eternity. Furthermore, again, it will affect our civilization. What does that cost? What is that worth? Number eight, how far away is the college or university? So it's the proximity question. I'd just like to say proximity of the heart is far more important than proximity of the body. 
our technological age has enabled us to travel further away than we could have a hundred years ago. Trains, planes, and automobiles, cell phones, all those kinds of things have created, enable us to have more distance and yet remain in contact. So there's some upside and downside to this. But um, having your children's hearts and being able to commune and communicate with them uh, because they can, they can live in your house and go to the local you know, community college and still be far from you. They can get into all the same kinds of trouble doing that as they can far off. Uh, you have to weigh all these things. And again, I know these are sometimes difficult questions. Number nine, what kind of reputation does this college or university have? Positives and negatives. And number ten, what kind of graduates is this college or university producing? What are the results? What do their families look like? Their churches, are they involved in church? Do they stop going to church? Are they more committed to church? Are they involved in their community? Are they financially stable? Are they leaders? What, what kind of people is this institution producing, and is that what you want your children to be? Now, again, hard questions. We've covered this in 40 minutes or less, and we've just scratched the surface. But the idea is to stimulate each of us to think very, very hard about this, to not quit uh, and to just kind of fall into the, what everybody else does. Uh, these are really important questions. Any comments or questions here? And we will remind you we're going to have a Sunday night meeting coming up where any of these kinds of questions will be open as well. It'll be an extended uh, time to have Q&A. All right, well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your instruction. And, Lord, it that makes us uncomfortable frequently uh, because it, it is about our lives and our children and decisions that we make, real practical kinds of things. So help us, Lord, to not shy away or water down the standard that you set for us, but to embrace it, to embrace it wholeheartedly, even if it's difficult, especially if it's difficult, I pray for all the families here for wisdom and grace and uh, charity as well as uh, uh, courage to face all these issues and to finish the jobs that we were, have been called to in the raising of our children. So bless us now as we prepare for worship, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.